Hello and welcome to The Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I'm your host and I am very happy to be joined by a special guest, a frequent training partner of mine, a New Paltz endurance sports and outdoor enthusiast slash celebrity. He is one of the grittiest and toughest trail runners I've ever met in my life. Some people call him TK. Some people call him Tommy Caps. Some people call him Skeletor. He is the... I'm going to say the unofficial inventor of Strava, and we are going to get into that at some point. But first, we are going to get into his background and everything that's been going on with him recently on the trails and how he has become, as I said, one of the toughest son of a bitches you'll ever meet. Please welcome to the pain cave, Tom Kaplan. Well, Jay, it's an honor to be here, and thank you so much for having me. And uh, I got to nurse my beer today because of my lightweight status. <laughs> Let's crack these open when we get started here. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. I am drinking a Magic Hat number nine, which nobody is going to appreciate. What do you have there? I'm drinking a Southern Brewing Company Blonde Ale eight days a week. Eight days a week. Very nice. Here, here. Here's to you. Right up my alley. There you go. Good. Like a good Coors Light. TK, I have known you for quite some time. Right, been in New Paltz about 17 years now. You have. Mm -hmm. About 15 for us. Right. And we probably met shortly after that. And I got to say, I don't know that I know your story beyond, you know, this n normal bullshit that people talk about when they're out on the trails for hours at a time. Tell us a little bit about your background athletically and professionally. I mean, I know you're a financial type guy, although to me, that's all a big black box. Yep. But, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do, but tell us how you got into the sport. What's your athletic background and, and how do you come to ultra running and trail running? Well, Jay, um, I think the uh, the running started early. I grew up across the street from Central Park. And uh, if you grew up across the street from Central Park, it's hard not to see running. So, uh, all right. So you grew up across the street from Central Park. Upper West Side Jew, Upper I would West. assume, yes. Upper West, and then um, ventured out onto the reservoir circle one day and figured out I enjoyed running and uh, kind of just took it from there. But um, I uh, guess my original outdoor introduction was in climbing, and I've been a climber for 40 years, and that's been a big, big part of my life. And uh, the running was kind of born out of the intra-season before ice, but when rock is finished and it's too <laughs> too crappy to be rock climbing. So that's how the running started. Is that how you came to New Paltz as a climber? Yeah. I mean, the Gunks was and still is, you know, world-class destination, right. a famous location for climbing. And yeah. uh, anybody that grew up in New York, it was the easiest place to get to. So 90 miles from the city. How'd you get into climbing growing up in the city? Um, well, I think I'd get shipped off to see my dad uh, twice a year. Parents were divorced. And, okay. Um, he didn't know what to do with a hyperactive son, so he uh, <laughs> he found somebody to guide me in rock climbing at the age of 11, and I came back and said, wow, i got to continue doing this. It's super fun, and uh, eventually found my way to the Port Authority and got the bus up here and hitched to the cliffs. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I just started climbing, and uh, it's it's uh, hasn't haven't stopped since. Did um, did you get into, the, like, the, the sport or the competitive aspect of it? No, n never really, you know, hyper-competitive. I, I think my life has been defined as... Uh, uh, happy mediocrity in all pursuits, uh, you know, whether, uh, you know, academics or work or climbing or running, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, more for the joy of being outside and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, hanging out with different people and 
seeing wonderful places. It's 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 more the experience than the uh, end result in, in sure. many cases. So. Sure. Now, as, and as you said, the Gunk's a world-class climbing destination. I'm sure you grew up climbing with a lot of the kind of greats from around here. And then a lot of those guys did cross into trail running. Uh, was it kind of through other people that you knew that, that you got exposed to the sport? Yeah, I mean, obviously saw a lot of the greats, didn't know them, kind of stood on the sideline and watched <laughs> in awe. But uh, I, I was fortunate enough about uh, 15 or 16 years ago to uh, uh, team up with a, a, a local climber named Mark Ravat. and. Sure. Um, you know, very fortunate to have, have someone who's a, a supreme athlete and uh, far superior to myself as a climber, uh, you know, dra- drag me around the cliffs. And um, <laughs> uh, he, in fact, is the one who uh, introduced me to the the word ultra running. I hadn't even heard of it prior to his introduction. So right. that was a, a blessing and a curse. Were you a track cross country guy in high school? Were you a roadie at any point? Um, well, you know, it's funny. Uh, back in the in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, my my best friend and I were looking at a magazine and we saw a guy finishing Hawaii Ironman, mm. and he and I said, "Wow, I'd love to do that." And he turned to me and said, "You're never going to do that. You can't do that." And so I said, "Oh, now I gotta, <laughs> I gotta do that." So summarily. I uh, quit my job, moved to Santa Monica, and trained for a year and a half, and finally did Hawaii Ironman in 92. Really? Yeah, and so that was kind of like my introduction to what you might call ultra-endurance sports. Sure. I had done New York Marathon a couple of times, but I uh, was mostly just a recreational runner. And, uh, you know, once the gauntlet had been thrown down, I was able to uh, huh. force myself into that you know, self-torture mode. So you, you quit your you quit your job, you moved west. Yes. And were you just training full-time? Uh, well, it was funny. I had I had explored, um, you know, how to get into the Ironman, and I realized you had to qualify. And sure. I, I had met somebody in Santa Monica who owned a restaurant, and uh, he said, "Well, hey, man, if uh, if you ever decide to move out west, I'll give you a job." And then three months later, I showed up and said, "Hey, I, you, you know, you promised me a job. I'm ready to start training." So and were you I waiting fell, tables, or yeah, waiting tables? And I fell in with the, uh, fell in with the, of course, wasting my MBA, but f- fell in with the. Um, <laughs> Santa Monica cycling and uh, triathlon mm-hmm. crowd, and uh, sure enough, in '92, I was able to do both the New Zealand and the Hawaii Ironman. So, wow! And then uh, haven't been on the bike since. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, it's, it's in my basement years. still. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. still in my basement. Yeah, new. Um, you know, I have. A, I bought a cross bike like two years ago. I've ridden it uh, six or seven times probably. Uh, but one of the guys from the depot texted me like a few weeks ago. He's like, oh, "There's a recall on you know some of the." forks you know that we might have one on yours you should bring it in and he's like don't ride it you know until we can take a look at it and i'm like all right well it's it's been written six times in the last two years i think i can probably hold off mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so i haven't spent a lot of time in the triathlon world subsequent but to, to qualify for maui you had to you had to go yeah that was fast. that was the beginning of my understanding of kind of like my ability to persevere mm-hmm. uh, which I always joke around. I say in my next life, when I line up for the gifts, I'll take a trust fund and a high IQ. But in this life, (laughs) I got the ability to suffer. Uh, Not sure that's the best gift to have, but it it allowed me to persevere through many failures and probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 uh, qualifiers uh, and and finally qualified for Hawaii. And uh, it was a long battle, but uh, finally did it. And what was your time? In Hawaii, it was 1049. Holy shit. Well, I guess <laughs> it was more luck than skill. No, but that's legit. It, it was reasonable time. Um, I mean, that's that's. But uh, I was twenty nine years old, you know. So now it's a it's a distant memory. Yeah, but I mean, God, that's moving. 
That, I mean, that's as good as most of the guys around here, the age group guys around here. Well, I mean, maybe I just got lucky. I, you know, my talent has waned substantially <laughs> since then, but uh, okay, uh, I have the pictures to prove it. So, that's good. <laughs> so early '90s, you finish off your tri career in style. Finish the tri career exactly. <laughs> and then you were back here when? Uh, well, I didn't move to New Paltz uh, until let's say 2001. Okay. Uh, so I was, you know, living in New York City, just kind of did a couple of New York marathons, et cetera, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of set aside the, the ultra distance business and just, you know, yep. was climbing a lot and yep. getting out in the mountains, hiking, climbing, camping, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then probably, oh, 2007, uh, the word ultra running was introduced to my lexicon. Right. Uh, when, you know, Mark suggested that we find something to do when you couldn't ice climb and you couldn't rock climb. Right. And uh, he suggested we sign up for a 50-mile. What was that first one? That Vermont 50-mile race. Okay. Which crippled me I was going to say, months, that's, that's, a lot of, uh, that's a lot of road for you guys. Yeah, it was a lot of dirt road. Yeah. But, um, you know, he, he basically said, let's give it a shot. And I think the furthest we had run was maybe 13 miles prior. <laughs> so it was an ugly ride home. <laughs> you know, some uh, some kidney malfunction, some cramping, some... IT band issues, but uh, we yeah, got Yeah, you've had it all done. at one point or another. Yes. Yeah, but we, As we, has Mark, for that yeah, matter. It's true, but we, <laughs> we got it done, and um, I was hooked. Yeah, how long after that were you just like, I'm in? I just, the minute you finish yeah. and you stop vomiting, you're, what's the next <laughs> race to, to sign up for? And, uh, you know, the ultra running bug kind of pushed the climbing uh, right, pretty into quickly. the back seat pretty quickly. So, I mean, at that point... Or within the, the, last, the next, you know, whatever short period of time. From then on, you were a runner first and a climber recreationally after that. Or right, right. We, yeah. we, we'd get out on the ice a couple times a year, or yeah. on the rock a couple times a year. But and fortunately, we're back uh, climbing more aggressively now. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I realize how much I missed it. But the running really took over. And then it became, you know, seven to 10 signups a year right. for the last 12 years or so. Right. And you you commute down to the city at this point? No, not anymore. Then I was commuting, so yeah. it was pretty burly. I would take a four fifteen train in every day for about Fuck. nine years. Jesus. Um, and go to the gym at Grand Central prior to work <laughs> and get on the treadmill and then run on the weekends and do whatever I could. So basically just like hurling myself at the sport without kind of the ability to, uh, you know, have a, a, a proper regimen, if you will. And at this point, you just do it all from home? Now I work from home. Yeah, yeah. the last uh, six or seven years, I've been blessed to be able to. And what exactly do you do? Do you, you are you a trader? I'm an analyst at a, You're an analyst. at a hedge fund. Okay, which uh, it pays well enough that you can uh, afford a Best Western and an airfare <laughs> to get out to where you need <laughs> right, to go. Right, exactly. So uh, you don't have to not flying private, but uh, but you're also not sleeping in the back of your car. Right, not sleeping in the car. <laughs> so not not a bad gig, and 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 blessed to have the folks at work laugh at the insanity of it, but support it, uh, tangentially. Awesome. So what I wanted to talk about for the most part, and I I do want to get into a couple other things. Um, the, uh, Gunk's Trails Challenge, we definitely want to talk about. I I, I want to talk a little bit about you and Mark and, and, uh, some of the kind of FKT ish kind of stuff you've done in your, your recent trip to, to the Dolomites. But the, the main thing I wanted to talk about was, your, your ultra running career, and not so much in a, you know, let's go through every single race you've run necessarily, but I, I want to talk about your ability to, uh, you, you have a couple of abilities that I, I really, really admire. 
and a couple of, of traits that I think are a little bit weird. But I, I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted to talk about kind of your career in general and the thing that, that really strikes me the most when I think about you or the things that strike me the most. One is, as I kind of alluded to off the top, is just your toughness is really the way to, the only way to describe it is, is thing number one. And thing number two is this ability to really, you have a very short memory for uh, failure or for, for difficult. Misery. Perfor- yeah. And, and your ability to bounce back from really places where even, you know, as a, an ultra runner myself, I've probably never been in terms of suffering. And you seem to be able to take that and really bounce back from that. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that and kind of if we can get to the bottom of where that sort of thing comes from. So let's kind of set the stage a little bit for the people out there uh, who are or to, to understand your career as an ultra runner. So you started, like you said, 07, the Vermont 50, which is right around the time I started in ultras as well. It was kind of in the 06 to 08 range. And Vermont 50 was also... I think my first 50, definitely my first 50 mile finish, at least. At what point after that did you start getting into hundreds? Because it took me a few years. It takes some people a few years to start, you know, it took me a a while, even with a a long running background to build up the kind of courage to go after a hundred. How long was it before you started running hundreds? Well, I think, you know, just hearkening back, not to dwell on the Ironman days, but when you see something like Western States or the, you know, Hawaii Ironman, you know, everybody knows that's the pinnacle of the respective sports for whatever reason. You know, they have a aura about them, those specific sure. races. And so I've always been one that you wants to go from step step one to step 10 right without doing two through nine. <laughs> and so, you know, right away, the magic of the hundred, at least the, the vision you have in your head of what it's going to be like, you know, draws me in. You know, you want to go to Yosemite as a climber, et cetera, same right. type of thing. So right away... I'm thinking about the hundreds. Okay. And so one little factoid, which I think gives some perspective, is it took me nine years to finish my first hundred. Right. With multiple tries right. every year to that ninth year. So your first try was when? Uh, I think I started right it was away. like 08, 2000. wasn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. It was like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. 13, 14, 15. Where was your first one? Um, you know, I your can't, first try, at least. I, yeah, I can't remember exactly what the first one was, but, but they all had, um, similar, similar characteristics, like way too hard right. for an that's, initial foray. And that's like kind of bad what choices, <laughs> you know, for somebody with at least an IQ to get through college and, and, uh, <laughs> you should have known better. You know, you read the website description, they say something like, this is a great first, hundred miler it has uh, 5,000 feet of elevation and I read the one that says 22,000 feet of elevation right. gain extreme weather variation highly technical altitude and that's and what I, go, I was kind of alluding to when I was saying you know you make some choices that kind of confounded me because right I mean I, I love the fact that you you know challenge yourself with those things but right about five or six or seven years in it was kind of just like dude just go to rocky raccoon and you know <laughs> just mm-hmm. get it out of the way and and your first your first finish was i, I was gonna I'm say tough. yeah i mean it was you know it, it was not you know going to a flat and fast one it was i am tough which is one of the hardest ones in the kind of midwest uh west area with a ton of gain and at altitude. I mean, you're, we're coming from sea level here. I mean, the gunks are great, but, you know, we're not getting any altitude draining here. And, you know, you just kept making it really, really hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a fair assessment. And, um, you know, I've thought about the psychology behind it a lot. And, you know, you have to laugh at yourself and obviously a glutton for punishment. But I've, I've never typically thought of myself as a masochist. It's more <laughs> of, um, you know, if you're going to do something, aspire to, to greatness or, you know, okay. exceed your expectations and, you know, keep trying until you get there. And that's the same it was with academics. It's the same it was with work. You know, you had your idea of the perfect job. Maybe it took me 15 years to get it. Right. Uh, and I think... You know, the easy way out is just maybe it's just that's being raised by a hardworking single mom. You know, you kind of built that just no matter what happens, slug, slug, slug. Right. And I think that was just ingrained in my character. And I well, couldn't settle. I couldn't settle. Right. And it frustrated me that I couldn't overcome these races by, by sheer will alone. Right. And so you gather experience through getting your ass kicked. I mean, I think that's what I kind of realized after thinking about it for a while was you wanted to, I mean, this this was going to be on your terms. You didn't want to finish just for the sake of finishing. You wanted to finish a race that you wanted to finish. And whatever that meant to you was something specific. And it meant, right, it meant uh, an epic adventure. It meant big mountains. It didn't just mean, you know, going to whatever, a a rail trail for 100 miles. And I mean, to your credit, you did it. What <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. How so was it nine or 10? I think there were on the 10th attempt, it was your 10th try after nine failures. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sure you've heard this sentence before for other folks who have struggled at you know making the leap to the bigger distance. Hey, man, why don't you just, just lower the distance, do 50ks? You know, right? And the more people would say that to me. <laughs> the more it lit the fire under me. And, you know, I'd sign up every year and I'd fail and I'd get on the plane home and everybody would text me. Oh, don't worry, man. You'll get it next time. And those those hurt. But by the time I landed, I was already on the websites, you know, for the <laughs> next one. Uh, so like you said, short memory, short memory and, um, you know, ability to kind of say, wow, who, who wants to throw up in the woods and go hypothermic by themselves right. in Idaho mountains? Right. You know, not many people. Right. Uh, but I learned a lot about myself. So and what were some of those early races that, that you DNF'd at? Uh, Bear 100. Yep. Uh, Tahoe Rim. Yep. Uh, Virgil Crest. Oh, God. Uh, Cruel Jewel. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, even Kettle Moraine terrible. was very, very Kettle hard Kettle Moraine's a runnable one. It was runnable, but the heat and humidity. What's that? It's like in July, right? June yeah. or July, yeah. And it was very, very hot. Yeah. Eastern states particularly oh, bad for me. Yeah. Very, very hot. Well, that you're dealing with the weather and the terrain yeah. and the climb. A lot of climbing. Yeah. Um, so a lot of hard races, a lot of DNFs, and yeah. a lot of DNFs to the point of in- inability to provide self-care. Yeah. So let's talk about that. W- was there, I-, I know stomach has been an issue for you in many of your All attempts DNFs. and is that pretty much what it always is the always. stomach goes bad so let's talk a little bit about that what is it that has kind of gone wrong for you from that standpoint and how have you kind of gotten around that more recently or or is it still kind of a coin flip as to whether or not it's going to happen i'd say it's a coin flip and um i've thought about a lot of things and i i think there's a a mixed component of Race day anxiety coupled with going out too fast, mm-hmm. uh, excessive belief in your ability to maintain a certain pace that you can't. Right. Um, and, you know, breaking your training habits on race day. So all kind of rookie mistakes that I repeat from time to time. <laughs> um, but uh, I think 
what I've learned is that there's another gear that you have and another level of suffering that you can go through. And I actually look back on some of my failures and how bad I felt and on some of the few successes. And um, I realize you can come back from deeper in the hole than, mm-hmm. or the pain cave uh, than, than you actually think you're in. Right, right. And I regret some of the quits, although I was usually in the fetal position on the ground, shivering, covered in a mylar blanket. Um, you know, I think it's just a, a mental willingness to go that extra mile and do everything you can to fight and don't quit until you're literally knocked out. Right. Um, so was there something at that first one that you finished at I Am Tough that kind of flipped the switch for you to say, this is how it needs to go for for me to be successful in terms of, did you slow down? Did you eat something different? Was it just, like you say, just realizing that it's not as bad as it could be, so let's just keep moving? Or was it a combination of those things? I think a combination, but m- most important is the idea of clinging to the cutoffs. Okay. And not worrying about the time or the pace, mm-hmm. just how much time do I have? How much time do you have before, before you're cut? Before I get yanked. Yep. And I've been yanked. Uh, not, not often. Not once. I was yeah. yanked at Angeles Crest. Right. And that the heat beat me there. Right, right. Um, but... I think just clinging to the cutoff and saying, hey, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I got nine hours. Mm -hmm. Take it easy. Mm -hmm. Sit, walk, try to eat some mashed potatoes, you know, sip some water, you know, don't rush out of the aid station, you know, warm yourself up for a minute. Um, Right, right. And I I think that's what what got me home. But I think uh, the most important thing is letting people help you. And one thing I've tried to do is in every DNF I've ever had, when somebody in, invariably rescues me or gives me a ride or mm-hmm. gives me an IV or whatever they do, mm-hmm. I go home and I send them something from Omaha Steaks, <laughs> uh, you know, whether it's a box of lobster or steak or something, because that, that, that karmic go-round, yeah. you know, perfect stranger in the middle of the night sees you're going to die, yeah. and they put you in their truck and wrap you in their sleeping bag. I mean, to me, that's what tears me up and... Yeah. And it keeps me coming back to the sport. And whether you're last across the line or first, man, oh, man, the community. It is amazing. It Beyond. is amazing. Yeah. Beyond. I mean, and I think that's the joy for me uh, with the buckle, too, of course. <laughs> so you got that first buckle in at I Am Tough, like we said, in 2017, I think? Uh, yeah, 2017. 2017. What did that feel like to, to finally accomplish that on your 10th attempt? Well, there's a picture I have on a mug I had made of the back of Mark Gravatt's head and the front of my ugly face. And uh, I have a look of, I, I can imagine what a religious person feels like when they think they see God uh, being hugged by your best friend who's been there through every failure uh, and, you know, watching you cross the line. It was, I mean, can only be described as one of the greatest relief slash endorphins slash great joy and belief in self that anybody could ever feel. I mean, it was, right. and I think that's, I think I wrote on a blog post, I mean, a Instagram post recently, I, I think I wrote something to the effect of, I wouldn't trade in all the misery and all the DNFing and all the lost money and all the disappointment a <laughs> hundred times over for that feeling of, of crossing that line. Yeah. And I, I mean, in a way it makes it more meaningful, right? To, to have all that failure behind you and to be able, I mean, to, to be able to persevere and get that done the first time it's, I mean, beyond. Yeah. And I, I'll say one other small anecdote, which is probably the highlight of my, my life. 
is uh, my oldest daughter posted something on Facebook after that first finish. I remember. Which obviously, you know, anybody you show it to tears up, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's almost like a, a party gag at this point. But uh, just how quietly she was watching me over the years yeah. and the motivation effect it had on her. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that was obviously not my intent. My ultra running is totally selfish and self-indulgent, but it happened to have that. But you realize that, oh, they they have been paying attention. They have been watching. It is meaningful. Right. And it just goes to show you, no matter how many times you get knocked down, nine years, thousands of dollars, you know, myriad periods of disappointment and self-doubt, don't give up. Now... The, the interesting thing is it, it has not been all smooth sailing since then. No. So that was that was your first finish in 10 attempts. You're, you're two for five since then? I think I'm in total. I'm four for five. <laughs> <laughs> we won't count DNFs at other distances for the sake of the statistic here. Sure. But there, there have been a few other <laughs> epic collapses at, at shorter distances, 100K uh, in particular. Um, but four for 14 is the official okay. 100 count. Okay, uh, so, so three, getting better three over, for four since then. Get, yeah, so getting better a- over AC time. AC 100 is the only DNF since a- that time. No, no, there's AC 100 DNF. There was Cruel Jewel again. Cruel Jewel again. <laughs> and Western State, and uh, Eastern States again. Okay. So Eastern States DNF twice, Cruel Jewel DNF twice, uh, Angel's Crest once. And you but have- uh, I'm going back. I'm going back to, I'm going back to Cruel Jewel for sure. Uh, it's forty-eight hour cutoff, and uh, I'm going to hike the whole thing. So right, that's I mean, so that's what you're taking forward at this point. And I think, you know, for for folks who may not be aware, you just finished your your fourth, I guess, right. at the Bear One Hundred two weeks ago in really fine fashion. You know, moving up through the field and just watching the tracking, which I was you know tracking both you and Phil and 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 Brian obviously throughout the the day and the night. You. It looked like you had figured something out in terms of where you need to be in the field in relation to the cutoffs. You were you started near the back. You were kind of an hour to an hour and a half ahead of the cutoffs for a little while. And then you were like two hours ahead. And then you were like three hours ahead. And it was just, it seemed very deliberate and very um, prudent. And, you know, at, at six o'clock in the morning, I was like, oh, he's he's good. I mean, he's still got 30 miles left to go or whatever it is. <laughs> But, you know, it, you, you clearly had kind of dialed it in to the point where you were, you know, it was, it was at that point about the forward progress and, and you, you were clearly in no danger at that point. So it seems like you've been figuring it out. Well, I'm not going to take credit for figuring it out, but I, but I, but I will say that, um, you know, when the conditions turn nasty and colder, mm-hmm. I seem to do better. Right. The and heat, it did get pretty the, nasty there. It got pretty nasty. It rained all night. It was pretty cold, hailing, yeah. et cetera. A lot, of, a lot of drops, a lot of sad faces in the warm-up tents at yeah. the aid stations. But um, I think with that one, I had a really, really bad period at 41 miles, and I was you know, throwing up and laid myself down at the aid station for 40 minutes and just said, listen, I'm coming home with the buckle. Right. And so I don't care just what made I got to do. I'm coming home. With the buckle. Right. And I said, all right, take your time. And you had time at that point. You had a few I built, hours. I built a little cushion and I right. said, you know what? Fix yourself. Don't blow it. Right. And um, I did that. And I got to say one other small anecdote. And this is all part of this luck I feel with these amazing people like yourself or Brian or Phil or Mark and all these unbelievable people that have, you know, the Pennsylvania ultra running squad, mm-hmm. just People that have been put in my path, uh, Susan, who I ran, I'm tough with for mm-hmm. 60 miles 
you know, just wonderful people. And uh, I was fortunate enough to run with Carl Meltzer's wife. Oh, at the um, at a, a race in Alabama, Pinhote, Pinhote yep. which I finished, mm-hmm. and I ran the last six or seven miles with her and her dear friend Jill. And sure enough, for seven hours during the night, she appeared at the bear this time. Oh. Uh, so I was blessed to have Cheryl Meltzer poking me with a ski pole <laughs> saying, hey, don't sit down. <laughs> Let's keep going. So it's that kind of just mm-hmm. pure karmic good luck that right. uh, comes back to help me. And I, you know, it's, you got to be grateful for knowing that Phil and Brian were warm and comfortable at the finish line <laughs> waiting for me. And I had to do it for them too, you know. But I think, you know, one point that we can make, I think, for from your experience for people who are maybe chasing that first finish or or nervous about it is I think it's better to be if you're nervous about the finish if it's a distance that you know intimidates you or something like that I think the lesson I would take from from what you're saying at least in terms of race strategy it's better to be an hour or 90 minutes ahead of the cutoff maybe than it is to be 3 or 4 hours ahead of the cutoff early on if you're concerned about being cut you an hour to 90 minutes is still enough time if you're moving uh, and, and I think the trick is not to get yourself into trouble with your stomach or with your, your quads or something like that by going too hard early on. And I think having a mantra helps. What is your mantra? You know, I think there's a bunch of mantras I use all the time. One is uh, run when you can, walk when you have to. Good. I think that's something that my son gave me. Mm-hmm. And he just said, just, God, Dad, finish one of these races. Just do that. <laughs> and that's one. And I think the other one is like, you know, don't sit. Mm-hmm. Get what you need. Mm-hmm. Take a sip eat a chip, keep moving. Mm -hmm. Don't waste a lot of time. Right. You know, unless you really, really need to bring yourself back or Mm -hmm. duct tape yourself up. Don't make, don't make love to the aid stations. Don't make love. Don't get in the warming tent too long. Right. Don't get sucked into that. So I just, you know, keep going and uh, run when you can walk when you have to, and don't guilt yourself. Don't weigh your down self down with the mental distraction of going, Oh my God, Mm -hmm. I'm so slow. I'm walking. My pace is collapsing. Mm -hmm. Just, just move one foot in front of the other. And, uh, my, my daughter uh, wrote on my hat RFM many years ago, relentless forward motion, sure. movement, whatever the case may be. And uh, I think just put those three together. Mm-hmm. RFM, don't dwell. Mm-hmm. Um, run when you can and walk when you have to. Now, your GI issues that you've had during the races, you say, and I think as a, an outside observer, a lot of that tied to going out too hard sometimes, being a little too aggressive early. Other than dialing back the effort level early on and kind of paying attention to that sort of thing. Did you have to make any changes in your diet, either what you were eating during a race or have you made any overall diet changes, you know, to just your everyday eating that has affected that? Do you stick to any specific diet or anything like that? No specific diet. Just try to eat generally healthy, however Mm -hmm. that's perceived by the common man. Sure. But uh, I think in the racing, you know, I got caught up in liquid calories and all the fancy products and gels and all the stuff. And in reality, when I first started... You know, all I did was eat potatoes dipped in salt, Coke, sure. water, and some potato chips. Yeah. And, you know, you see a superstar like uh, Ben Nephew, yeah. and all he drinks is Coke. Yeah. Obviously, it works. And in, in the bear, what saved me is I just sipped Coke and water for the last seven and a half hours. Yeah, exactly. And I felt crappy afterwards, but uh, got me to the finish line, and that's, yeah. that's most important. So just, hey, go back to the roots and mm-hmm. simple foods. Keep it simple. Mashed potatoes, yep. potato chips. Yep. And then whatever looks good. Whatever basically. looks good. And you can get down and stay away from the hyper sweet, nasty stuff. And you know what's amazing is uh, never get sick in training. Really? Never get sick in the FKT type stuff. Never get sick in the 12-hour mountain days. Yeah. 
I, and that's where I attribute a little anxiety and race, right? Uh, you know, race plan faux pas, right? Uh, Combination think, of nerves and just over intensity, and right? Sort of thing. And you know, you get caught up and you latch on to somebody, and I mean, that's that was the Tahoe Rim Trail. I mean, right. Tahoe Hundred. I mean, I, I I latched onto somebody's heels, was running comfortably, and then I was like, oops, too late. You get Can't out running your own race. Can't bring it back, and, yeah. you're, and you're gone. Yeah. Um, but okay, I want to get into. A couple of rapid fire things towards the end, but let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about how, as I like to say all the time, you and Mark invented Strava. Tell us about the Gunks Trails Challenge. How did that come to be? Where did you guys come up with that idea? And are we going to see something like it again? Well, you know, being that we both work pretty hard and with the three kids and everything, it's it's kind of hard to devote the time to doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, may, maybe if retirement ever beckons, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll start it up again. But you, guys are, th- you guys are both almost empty nesters at this point. Yep, getting close. <laughs> um, but the, the Gunk's Trail Challenge was born from a very simple conversation that took place many, many times. We'd be standing at a place on our beautiful local trail somewhere in, uh, you know, Minnewaska State Park. And we'd see no humans. Right. And we would say there's 10 million people in a 100-mile radius. <laughs> right. At and least. we are in one of the most pristine trail zones with views of the Catskills and all the way to Bear Mountain. Yeah. Where is everybody? Right. So we said, well, maybe if we create something that is friendly for folks with pictures and you know descriptions and specific distances and make it a little bit fun and reach into our own pockets and give a few dollars and give some prizes, maybe some people will turn up. And sure enough, well... It worked and it was a good idea. And I, I want to say it was the genesis of all the cool stuff that, you know, Charlie or Mike or yourself yep. and everybody's doing around here. And oh, yeah. So we, we kind of just pushed the boulder down the hill. and. So this was, I'm going to say 2010, 2011? Yeah, maybe earlier, maybe 2010. Yeah, yeah. So the way that this worked for people who may not be familiar was you, you guys put up a, re- a website and you had uh, 12, I think, routes that were basically... Just linking up local trails in sometimes in ways that, you know, were were fairly common that that people would run a, a specific trail loop and sometimes in in new or novel ways or or linking up a couple of trails that people hadn't seen before. And each it, this ran for six months from I'm going to say like April to October yeah, or, so. or something. Yeah. Each month had one featured loop and there were a total of 12 loops. So. That, that you had to run over the six-month period. And it, this was kind of at the the forefront of the GPS movement. And, and basically, people would upload their GPS tracks. Strava did not exist at that time or anything like that. I mean, it was barely a Facebook universe at that point. And we would upload it directly to the website, and then it would track standings. And you could see where you stood on each loop in relation to everybody else. You could take multiple shots to improve your time at each loop. You would have, like I said, a featured loop each month, and there were kind of like preem prizes for the people who had the fastest on the featured loop for that specific month. And then there was a cumulative um, competition for the best cumulative time, the most most loops that people would run. And I mean, it, it was awesome. It was fun. It was a great idea. And unfortunately, I mean, and I blame myself, I'm not entrepreneurial enough to kind of, you know, take it beyond what it what it was, but, you know, it just died a natural death. And I mean, it was a great idea at the time. And I think most important, we achieved what we wanted to do. We got met new people and got oh, people yeah. out that hadn't been out. And it was really cool to meet folks outside the bike shop or something and hand the prize over. Right. You know, it was kind of a... And even someone like myself who had been training here for several years at that point, I saw new stuff that I hadn't seen before. The the 
I mean, the the big, I forget what, what you guys called it, but where, where we linked up, I mean, I'd been to Sam's Point and run past Mud Pond, but to link up the entire thing with that kind of old washed out carriage road that went from a Oh, Smiley, lake. before they plowed it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm, I'd never been on that before. And Amazing. I mean, that's that's how I met uh, Mike was we were just like, we had never met each other before. We were like, hey, neither of us really know exactly where we're going on this trail. Why don't we do this loop together? And then like a week and a half later, of course, we both surreptitiously snuck out and tried to improve our times because we were competing with each other. Um, but it was it, it was great. It was a really it, it really expanded the community. And it really did. Uh, you know, I, I'm facetious when I'm saying that you guys invented Strava, but it, it was basically the same idea where people uploaded the same tracks and compared times and it wasn't obviously as automated as Strava is with the segments and everything else but it was basically the same idea where you would look and see oh my friend ran this this loop or this segment faster than than I did maybe I'll go out and try and beat it and this was you know obviously a great idea that has since taken off and you know could have made you a billion dollars yeah it could have but it's not to be but <laughs> I tell you when I stood at the start of the first cat's tail marathon which is a beautiful event and hats off to Mike and Charlie I mean just fantastic what they've done with Manitou's etc yeah I mean I, I look at that as kind of like a uh an, an evolution like yeah. an outgrowth of it and it it you know I'm happy if that's the if if ours was the seed and that's the pearl, yeah, the grain of sand. Mixed metaphor aside, if that's the grain of sand and those big races are the pearl, then, yeah. then we did the right thing. Yeah, and the stuff that Mike gets to do around here with the fallback and uh, and the uh, sprinkle track and that sort of thing, it's all it's all kind of born out of that same thing that you and Mark started. And I'm uh, blessed. I'm blessed to have this area. And I, you know, it's funny. I was looking at the finishing picture of Brian, Phil, and myself, and I think about you at places like Leadville, et cetera, and and all your 24-hour races and stuff, and I say, what's in the water in Newports? It is a... Where did all these, where did all these ultra-junky super runners come from, and why did they land in this small, whatever, 7,000-person town? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a special place. I mean, certainly it has an attraction just for the outdoor folks. I mean, the climbing, obviously, you know, we're, you know, the, the triathlon scene here was huge before any of us got here, obviously. And, you know, you go way back with the guys from the Schwangunk Runners, Steve Schallenkamp and those guys. Those guys were hammering road races, you know, faster than we even realized. There were a lot of sub-230 marathoners and stuff like that up here. So I think that spirit has been here for a long time. And I think it's just natural as the trail running and ultra running scene has taken off nationally that that the similar sort of thing would happen here. I mean, we basically converted Phil, who is just an aerobic monster, uh, you know, basically a olympic level rower to the finest over 50 ultra runner in the country yeah more or less i mean brian you know brian was living in the city came up here with glenn redpath once or twice and was basically just like oh my place here and six months later was living here so you know it was a a little bit of luck and and opportunity and um it's and it's a great like you said it's a great community it's a great area and uh yeah we are lucky we are lucky and but, I guess the big so, question now is, you know, what's always, what's next? I mean, that's, that's always on my mind, you know, dreaming, 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 chasing that age monster. So what is next for you? Well, uh, <laughs> if I can be brutally honest, I just booked a hotel room <laughs> in anticipation of a lottery opening that's coming. I, I think, and uh, I think I'm going to try for that high lonesome lottery. Really? Yeah. Well, I have a friend with a house in Colorado who I've already put an email out to saying, might I be able to work out of your house for a week there prior you go. to acclimatize? So already dreaming about next year, obviously put in for the Western States lottery. And, sure. um, you know, I think if I'm feeling particularly 
uh, if I'm really in the mood for some self-flagellation, I'm going to go back to Cruel Jewel for mm-hmm. number three. Just just because the buckle's so big, <laughs> it would be nice to bring it home on the plane. And then at the end of next year, you know, if there's anything left, uh, I don't know, October, we'll see. It's a little <laughs> early to think about October, but always dreaming, always dreaming about the next one. High Lonesome looks gorgeous. The pictures that I see from there, and I don't know what the trails are like if they're, you know, kind of buffed out or if they're super technical or what, but just the the scenery and the views from that race look amazing. It just looks beautiful. There's a, a little complaint about uh, some of the Jeep roads being shared with some of the ATVs and motorcyclists, et cetera, mm, but whatever. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's 10,000 feet in the Colorado mountains. Yeah. It can't be bad. No. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And then just uh, whatever local stuff is around and uh, keep training, keep eating, keep stretching, try to get a little stronger over the winter and, uh, you know, steal secrets from you, Phil and Brian and <laughs> see what I can do. You had a period after AC 100 this summer, which, you know, did not go well, which I mean, was a terrible, I, I mean, I, horrible choice of race. Well, yes and no. I mean, that, I, I don't understand. That race has been around for a very long time. I have no idea how that race exists at a, a hundred mile completely exposed trail race in San Diego or, or Los Angeles or uh, yeah, near Pas- or not too far from Pasadena in, in July. I mean, you're, unless you're living in a sauna, I don't know how you're supposed to survive that thing. And you know, you, d- you did get cut there and you did have a period after that where I don't know how facetiously or serious you were about it, but you said, I'm basically done with this. Was that, were you, what percentage of that was serious and, and what kind of prompted you to, come back and take another stab at the bear. I know, uh, you're, I know you're already registered for the bear, but... Right, I'd already registered for the bear. <laughs> but I mean, I think this year, the, the biggest disappointment for me was uh, the failure at Manitou, which for whatever reason, you know, really, really hurt me psychologically. Because mm-hmm. I walked in there, I'm like, I, I know these trails, I've right. trained all winter, right. I'm fit, I'm ready. It's only, fit, only 54 miles um, That's a 54 mile that plays like a hundred and just executed terribly. And it was a disaster. And I felt so, so sick. And thank, thanks to Tara Ciudy for <laughs> uh, saving me there. Um, but, you know, after the Manitou failure and then Angela's crest was just so debilitating. Yeah. Like the heat was incomprehensible. Yeah. I felt like I was cooking inside, yeah. probably was, could not move no matter yeah. how much you willed yourself, walked to whatever it was, 40-something miles and missed the cutoff by 16 minutes. Couldn't do it. The right. cutoff was too tight. And I was like, oh, my God, my cutoff strategy is not working. I'm doomed. I'm just too old. I'm too slow. Right. I do, I do too badly in the heat. I can't eat. I can't drink. I'm throwing up. I'm, I'm done. This is ridiculous. Right. And then, of course, a couple of weeks go by and the bears signed up and everybody's asking, you going, you going, you going. And I said, well, I paid already. <laughs> Got my plane ticket, got nothing to lose. Uh, so, you know, thank God, got it done. So when you look back, what have been some of your favorite races that you've been to? I mean, I, I'm sure that all the finishes of the hundreds hold a special place in your heart. I know you love Manitou's, you love Cat's Tail, that sort of oh, thing. great. Um, the Manitou's beyond comprehension. It's it's such an amazing course. And yeah, it's nothing that I want to do having been on those trails and having run escarpment a couple times, but... I, I can see for folks like yourself and Mark and Phil, the appeal, I guess. Um, it's a cool course. But I'd say for me, the, the highlight of my entire ultra running career is yeah. my, my oldest daughter came out and crewed me at Bighorn. Yeah. Uh, where Brian won, the yep. year Brian won, tied for 
the victory with mm-hmm. four other folks and uh and Callie uh, Bird paced me mm-hmm. through the night mm-hmm. uh, in you know knee deep mud yeah uh, a lot of drops that year fifty yeah. percent finish rate and having my daughter at mile eighty two uh, man the tears coming down my face with the <laughs> hug you know the last climb didn't even didn't even register <laughs> you know it's just it was on my deathbed. I certainly won't remember a Tuesday at work, but I will remember that. And uh, <laughs> fantastic that just the beauty of the course. And yeah, the, you know the, the the having the daughter there was was pretty epic. But I, I I think also I mean I mean Tahoe is unbelievable. Yeah, the view of the lake and those runnable trails. Yeah, and if it wasn't two hundred degrees. Yeah, running uphill in sand. Yeah, I think it would be one you get back to more well brian hickey just did the 100k there which is part of the tahoe 200 maybe consider that that's in september it's a little cooler a little cooler and you're getting the same views of the lake and that's i mean that looks beautiful i'd be psyched to go for that it does funny because you're talking about the tahoe 200 yeah, that's, yeah, certainly, that's, what, that's what you're looking at the 200. <laughs> you know, like, I, I like to set the bar exceedingly <laughs> high and assume failure and be overjoyed if i happen to trip over success but i mean i heard you and phil on the recent episode of the pain cave talking about the tour de gente yeah and, uh, is that don't don't watch the video unless you want to sign up for it because uh, it's, i won't be signing up don't worry it's so unbelievable and so having it, just been in the italian alps if you had a bucket list race is that what it is, is if it i States, had the physical wherewithal if i had the physical wherewithal yeah and you know the mental fortitude tdg i mean it's I mean, what more can be said? Just watch the video. Look at the pictures. And yeah. Look at it. I mean, I was just in the Italian Alps in, a month and a half ago, and I'd say hands down the nicest place I've ever been. Tell us a little bit about where, where in the, were you in the Dolomites? Yeah, we went to the Dolomites. Yeah. We stayed in Cortina, and uh, right. we just ripped it up for five days of, uh, you know, climbing Via Ferrata, running mm-hmm. around. And it was great altitude training coming into the bear because we got up to like, sure. you know, six, seven, eight thousand, maybe even higher feet. And every day was just a hammer fest. And uh, without thinking about running or training. Right. So it was kind of that wonderful escape to the mountains, moving quickly over pretty easy ground and just having a great time with your boys. And had a friend of ours from Seattle meet us out there, Mark and I, and a stellar trip, beautiful place. And I think it renewed for me, refreshed my love of the mountains and desire to do the mountain races. So I don't think you'll be seeing me at uh, any of those Texas courses anytime <laughs> soon or Florida. <laughs> I think it's mountains for me. The when we first moved up here in '04, we were here for about two weeks, and then we went. We it was like a, I don't want to say delayed honeymoon because we had a honeymoon, but it was you know I, I took a month between jobs, and we went to Italy, and we our first stop was in Cortina d'Ampezzo, and we we didn't do any Via Ferrata, but we went hiking through the refugios, and just that's like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, I was just in Bryson's Zion, which was gorgeous. And I love the West. I love, I mean, I love the Leadville course and seeing the Rockies and all that sort of stuff, but I've never seen anything like being in the Dolomites outside of Cortina. Just unbelievable. And the, the pizza, the pizza. No, that's not real pizza. <laughs> it was good though. We had a great time. So, uh, mountains for me. So we'll, uh, for sure. You'll help me plot my mountain future filled with self-torture and I mean I love dusty ma- knees <laughs> I love the mountains I, I like hiking in the mountains when I'm racing I want to be racing I don't want to be hiking that's right well <laughs> if I were fast like you then that would appeal to me but being slow the mountains are a great equalizer <laughs> when you're a hiker so domestically what would be if you had a, a race that you want is it hard rock hard is rock it, yeah. I mean hard rock is the reason the one. for the sport right I mean it's the lottery well, every time I've unfortunately the like canceled you, yes. the canceled race but yeah um 
the only reason I sign up for the qualifiers, right? I mean, <laughs> half the time. Why would you do Cruel Jewel for the third time, right? To extend your hard rock eligibility for another two years. You know? Bear counts, no? Yeah, bear counts. Yeah, there you go. So you're good. Just keep extending. Yeah, keep extending. exactly. So yeah. hard rock, obviously, is the dream of dreams. And uh, hopefully somebody from here gets in so I can go out and pace. It's got to happen eventually. I would love to pace there. I mean, I think it's gorgeous. I have no interest in actually running it or racing it, but I would love to pace. I would pace, I'd pace 40 miles, 50 miles, whatever. That's great. But Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I have no, no interest there. Before I let you go, Tom, I'm going to play the game that I play with all my guests. You are old enough to remember, and you're from New York. So you probably remember the old radio show, Desert Island Discs, where you would go to a desert island and you'd have to play your three favorite records that you could listen to for, for the rest of time on a desert island. So we're going to play a variation of that called Desert Island Picks. All right, I am sending you to a desert island for a year. You have to bring one of each of the following. You have to bring one book, one album, one food, and one beer. What are you going to bring to a desert island? Well, let's start with the easy one, Coors Light. (laughs) For the beer, I have absolutely no taste in beer whatsoever, (laughs) but I know what I like. Hey, look, a Coors Light, if you're mowing the lawn or running a beer mile that you're eventually going to throw back up, then a Coors Light is perfectly appropriate. What's next? (laughs) Um, Book. That's a tough one. I think I'd have to go with, you know, an epic that would keep me busy for a year. Maybe something like the Gulag Archipelago or something like that. Oh, that's an excellent, interesting choice. Right. Just pure intellectual self-flagellation, to use that word for the ninth time in this podcast. Um, Food. I'm going to go spaghetti and tomato sauce. Sure. You can't that go that or pizza, those are the only right answers. And then I think album, maybe the hardest choice of all. I got to go with some Zeppelin album. Yeah. Maybe Zeppelin 3. Zeppelin 3. Nice. Nice. Little bit of a hidden gem. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Good stuff. So that's it for me. Tom Kaplan, thank you so much for joining us in the Pain Cave. This was a really awesome discussion. I love hearing all your tales and and perseverance and everything else it's you know following your career from nearby or afar is is so much fun it brings me so much joy to see you succeed and congratulations on the bear and everything else i appreciate that jay your kind words always appreciated thanks everyone out there thank you so much for listening and until next time in the pain cave keep putting one foot in front of the other Still